Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I got to speak to my former professor, Dr. Nick Ewan, head of the theater department at Howard Payne University. We get into what led him to become a professor, some of my personal experiences in college, and how he's had to creatively rethink the way in which he is able to educate students in this new way of COVID and just schooling in general. It's a fascinating conversation. I think you're absolutely going to enjoy it. So stick around. I'll be back with Dr. Nick Ewan after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is, uh, I hope nobody else is listening to this from Howard Payne, but my favorite professor of all time, Dr. Nick Ewan, or as I affectionately dubbed him when I was in school, Mr. E, because of the recess guy, Mr. E. What's the E stand for? I can't tell you. Ooh, it's a mystery. Nick Ewan, how are you doing today? (laughs) Thank you so much, Joe. I'm very well. Thank you. And, uh, it is, uh, you know, it's been several years dream come true to actually get to join you on this podcast. Yes. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, following you and, and uh, just so proud of the work that you have done and your achievements in doing all this. And I got to say, I feel um, a little, um, I feel a little uh, underprepared. I don't know, so considering some of the outstanding guests that you have on and you know, you but here I am. Are, you are good, though. The thing that you have in common with Rob Bell, who is a recent guest, is that I like both of you. So there you go. I mean, as long as you're on so, Joe Shaw's personal wish list, you're good to go. All right. All right. <laughs> and I appreciate that. I, yeah. You know, it's it can be hard as a professor to have students graduate after working with you and still like you. Right. Um, so I consider that a big big achievement you know well i think i think one of the things that was really fortunate about my time at howard payne was there were very few professors that i did not get along with and um even out of those probably only one that i ended up not quite exactly liking when i was done because i think even if you don't get along with a professor you can learn and glean some understanding and even the one that i didn't particularly care for i still learned quite a bit as far as studying and test taking and how to recognize when a like uh, I didn't have good test taking skills I'll throw that out there and this was a traditional test taking test giving professor and the one thing that I learned on the first test was oh this is how I take a test in your class got it not everything is going to be very Tell me about your experience, write out an essay, what are your points? Some of them are just going to be like trying to trip you up. Do you know the information inside and out? And I learned and I passed and I persevered and I got through and everything was good. No no delays. So, so even then when I'm talking through like, I don't know what I got from that person's class, I just talked through it. So there we go. You can really learn anything from anyone, even if it's, I've learned never to talk to them again. Either way, you can always learn something sure. from people. I mean, that's... That's the main lesson that you're supposed to get from right. college is not to learn stuff, but to learn how to learn. Yes. And so. Absolutely. Now, I want to start out actually with a question, um, a specific question that I am constantly thinking about right now. And that is, um, 
how would you like me? Well, this is not the question. This is just another question. Do you want me to address you as Dr. E, Mr. E, Nick, Yui uh, Yui, like Huey Louie? I don't know. How would you? <laughs> um, gosh, you can call me Nick because, cool. of course, you're a good friend of mine. Now, if my students wind up listening to this, when we're in class on campus, it's appropriate for them to call me Dr. Ewan. Of but course, of course. Out in the world, you know, I'm not like... <laughs> Not it's doctor. Call me Doctor Ewan because that could lead to problems. Is there a you doctor know? in the house? We need a doctor. I'm like, well, here I am, and but I, can... I can't actually do anything that would help you in this situation. Let me argue my thesis with you while you're writhing in pain. <laughs> let's let's think critically about the drama unfolding before us. Um, oh yes. Yeah, so all right. Well, Nick, uh, here's the actual question, and that is. Um, what are we doing and where are we going? It seems like there is so much at work that is trying to, so many different powers in play that are seeking to divide us as a, as a country, as a people, as a world. And I'm trying to say, hey, let's come together. Let's break bread. Let's talk. Let's see each other in ourselves and find out where we differ and where we are similar and find where there's common ground that we can listen to each other. So I just want to know from you, like, what, what, what's going on? Like, let's just start there. Let's just start with a big, broad question of, like, how do we even how do we even start to bridge this divide on a micro level that we can can extrapolate out to a macro level uh well holy moly um i <laughs> let me first of all answer that question by just reminding you and anyone who is listening to this that i don't have any answers sure for you. <laughs> this is just a conversation right <laughs> uh, yeah sure but uh gosh this is such a big question right did you prep me for this i don't remember probably not well let me let me let me break it down in in a perhaps a little bit more easily digestible way. And that is, I think when I'm thinking about the world at large, it can become as I, as I like to refer to it as high stakes fatigue. And what I mean by that is you get to a point where things just keep escalating as far as problems. And there are, there are definitely problems, but it becomes so much. It's like, I don't even know, like me as an individual person, I don't even know where to start with that. And I can't, I can't even begin to tackle like really big problems on a country level or world level, because that's not the role that I have in society. So what I do is I try and on an individual basis with people I interact with on a regular on a regular occurrence is try and seek to understand their perspective, seek to understand what they hold dear in their life and find out where we differ and where we're similar. So I can, when I have these conversations about trying to understand why they believe something in a certain way or have certain opinions, it can help me to better understand my other neighbors that I don't interact with if I am able to get a glimpse of them. So I would say from a, from a teaching perspective, and I want to get into your whole journey about how you even got to your position as head of theater department, Howard Payne. Um, I want to start with how do you seek to understand perhaps other students or other professors that you work with that you may not always share similar thoughts and ideas with? How do you seek to bridge that gap? So learning can occur and growth can happen. Right. Well, okay. I think I can speak to that. Sure. Um, uh, I, uh, I really try not to, um, really try not to focus too much on world shaping or even world understanding, mm. uh, just because really my perspective is, is so limited. Um, but as a mentor and as a teacher to my students, 
to where, you know, to where I am and where God has called me and in within the realm that I operate. You know, there's a few, I guess, philosophies that I try to live by to sort out what's going on. Um, number one, you know, uh, I'll say this um, just just so that because just because all of my answers are going to be coming from this point, mm-hmm. and I understand, and, and it might be helpful, you know, for people who don't know me if they're listening to what I'm saying to say, where is he coming from with this? This is where I'm coming from. Is that I am a Christian and I'm proud of that. I have a Christian worldview, and just saying that word, there's all these definitions depending sure. on your life experience that that might mean to you. Uh, so me saying that to somebody at my home church here in May, Texas, you know, that would mean something uh, maybe good. It might be a good quality. I might hear that and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to get along with this guy. Whereas if I say that in, in other company, uh, even, even here on campus in among my own students, by just saying that they're going to, they're going to be guarded. They might sure. feel a certain way about just that word, just based on their life experience. So I would say my job is to listen more than mm. more than to talk, and I do talk a lot. Unfortunately, <laughs> I really I really can't get going. You, if you leave me with an open-ended question like this, I'll wind up talking for a long time, uh, <laughs> and forget what I was talking about, and t- then start talking about something else. But uh, I, I, I was talking, <clears throat> gosh, man, and I've been through a lot uh, with my with my students over the last, this is my 14th year teaching. And, Jeez. and uh, I have said this all along through different ups and downs and different things that have happened is that in my, in my view and my understanding of history um, as a Christian, that the world is the same amount of lost as it has always been. Mm. And that is completely mm-hmm. like, <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we tend to look at what we what we have going on and say this is so much worse than it's ever been before. Um, when I would say I, I don't know I don't know about that. It's worse for us because we're the ones experiencing it right fair, now. Fair, fair. That's a very fair point. In, historically speaking, we're we are very blessed. We in so many ways. Yeah. We have, we have uh, so many blessings, and and so I would say that just to start off with, thankfulness should be. The position of our hearts, mm-hmm. uh, thankfulness, uh, a, a mode of listening, and you know I'm not always good at this. I, I'm very quick to speak my mind rather than just listen, uh, yeah. but it's something that I want to work on. You know yeah. that I'm I'm always trying. To, I need I need to get better at listening. Um, and uh, I was just talking with my fundamentals of acting students this week. You know the midterm uh, weight has settled on them. Mm-hmm. And, see it and not just my freshmen but you know all, all the students once once a midterm week gets here all the fun has been wrung out of this semester and now it's like what have i been doing yeah. uh oh my gosh my choices right why uh but yeah. they're they're fine they're gonna be okay oh, of course and, uh, so i was talking about this uh and it applies to as an actor you know in terms of building a character and so forth but it applies to just understanding people that all of us do both of these things, but people, I think, tend to fall in in terms of motivation for their actions into one of two things. That people either are motivated by uh, wanting to avoid pain, mm. or they're motivated by wanting to experience joy. Now, mm. all of us do both. Right. But I would say 
everybody will fall into predominantly one mode of operation. That's a good like point. predominantly this person's decisions, they make decisions based on they want to avoid pain. Right. And a lot of times they do that because they've experienced so much pain. Right. Uh, or they make decisions based on they want to experience joy. Right. Uh, and just when you wake up in the morning, which kind of a person do you want to be? Yeah. No, it's very, um, that's very valid. I think it's, it's, you know, you speak, you speak very eloquently on the, the two traits because that there's so much truth in that. I mean, you think people are avoiding whether physical, emotional, mental pain, there's a lot of a spiritual, right? There's a lot of ways in which one seeks to avoid that because it's so triggering and there's a lot of trauma on whatever level associated with that. On the flip side, you do have people that are seeking joy in the same vein, um, and, and there's a lot that goes into that decision. I love the idea of talking through these lessons with your students, because one thing that I learned uh, in college and then outside of college was I need to bring my full authentic self into whatever I'm doing and then learn and grow from others and listen to others who are bringing their authentic selves. See, you know, as we said, where we differ and where we're similar so we can learn and grow from each other. I do want to take a moment and let everybody know about today's sponsor of the podcast. So today's sponsor is right on these lines. It's Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence for all. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And the owner and operator of that company is a dear friend of mine, Nick Silvestri, who designs the Detox podcast logos. So if you like it, you like his work, you want to go support him, go check it out, Snuffy. But moving on to, I think, from a theater perspective, I'd really love to know... Um, so now that we've solved life's grand questions for everybody, like they, well, no, we've done, we've done the lifting, right? No. Um, I'd love to, you're welcome. right. You're welcome, Chris. <laughs> right. <laughs> done election. What? We don't need it. We've got it. Joe and Nick have, are on it. So we're good. Um, <laughs> vote Joe. No, I'm kidding. 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 I'm not kidding. <laughs> whenever I see somebody do as a just weird side note, whenever it still trips me up, I forget that Joe Biden is running for president. When I see a hashtag vote Joe, I'm like, me, what am I running for? Oh, I feel so honored. I better get my suit ready. Like, and then I realize, oh, wait, there's a presidential candidate named Joe. Never mind. Different, different Joe. Um, <laughs> just quick aside. I feel the same way around Christmas time with right. Jolly Old St. Nick and you know, all of that business. Right. And right. you're like, I'm not giving people these presents. Get away from me. No. Um, <laughs> right. But I'd love to know if you could walk us through your experience of going through, well, I guess maybe this is the best way I want to ask that is I want to know what led you to want to become a professor of theater and be able to impart a lot of lessons that you learned onto an entire new generation of students. Okay. Um, so I started um, my college career at Howard Payne University in Stingham. the fall of 1998. Stingham Jackets? Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I came in as a freshman in 98. Um, and uh, I, I started out as a theater major because um, somebody said, my advisor said, what would you like to major in? And I was like, well, what are my options? Right. <laughs> like, well, there's, you know, accounting and you know, science and mathematics, you know, all these wonderful areas. And, right. and, uh, I had heard that there was such a thing as a theater degree and I was like, well, that sounds easy. Right. Uh, 
and I did some theater in high school. I wasn't wasn't talented. I didn't come in like so many of the people who I was working with, um, who had. I mean, I, I grew up in Wyoming. So for those of you that don't know, if you, if there's something off about me and you're like, what is up with this dude? It, it is usually that. Usually it comes down to that. Yeah. Oh well, forgive him. He's from Wyoming. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I did grow up in Wyoming, and uh, I I was. I had a drug problem. My mother drugged me to everything she wanted me to. Uh, <laughs> uh, We're not even at the joke section yet. No, she <laughs> drugged me one day to an audition. I was in seventh grade. It was actually the summer between my uh, sixth and seventh grade year. Um, I was a very dorky little kid, um, but uh, I have, I'm the youngest of three brothers, all of whom are very talented in drama and music, all sorts of things. And, she came out. I was playing GI Joes in the backyard, um, and uh, she's like, "Come on, we're going to an audition." And I was like, "What's an audition?" Right. <laughs> anyway, went to this like six-hour-long audition. And there Whoa! Was, like, hundreds and hundreds of kids at this thing, uh, and I wound up getting called back and called back, and then I got a part in this play, uh, Peter Pan, uh, and uh, it was it was really a big deal. And you know, sang some song. I was Nibs. I was the lost boy Nibs. Oh, nice. And. Uh, that was an awesome experience. But then after that, I really didn't do any drama or theater. I was a band nerd. Uh, but when I got into high school, we moved towns between my sophomore and junior or my freshman and junior years. And uh, just in the process of making new friends and figuring out who I, who I was and what, where my place was. And, you know, I had friends who invited me to come to audition for plays, the high school plays. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing plays in high school and theater, speech and debate and all that good stuff. Um, and so when I got to college, um, most, most college freshmen come in and the belief is that you go to college to learn about things that you already know. But I right. know that's not true now. The purpose for college is to learn all the things you don't know. Right, right. But anyway, so I decided to be a theater major because I had done theater and it sounded like that would be easier, you know, no, no, it's very rare, I would say, very special to students who come in and say, I want to, I'm going to do bioengineering and, you know, like <laughs> legitimate right, right. studies. And I did earnestly believe I was going to change my degree. Sure. Um, and I just thought, I don't actually know anything at all. Right. Um, and so <laughs> I was a good placeholder. I do. Um, and I fully expected that I was going to change to be, uh, you know, an architect or a librarian or I don't know, something. Sure. I don't know if librarian is a legitimate career. It is. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a career, career. Um, I'm not sure the longevity of that. I feel like there's only so many librarians in the world. I do know it's a major. I know someone who got a degree in library li science. science and I did not think those people existed. I was corrected. Uh, they do. Um, I thought they were just formed as little old women um, in the back of the library and they just walked out and then started running the library. I thought that's how librarians came into existence. I was incorrect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought I was going to change my major and I just never did because I actually liked the work. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't get very, you know, I wasn't very talented on stage when I first came in for the most part. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I learned and I improved through uh, good direction. You know, my mentors, Dr. Nancy Johanfeld and Neil St. Clair and Dr. Charles Grimsley. Yep. Um, you know, I worked with them and, and I worked for Dr. Grimsley in his scene shop. And that was a, a, a crazy experience <laughs> in many ways, but I learned so much and I liked the work. So a lot of times I was the one backstage. 
I was the one cleaning up at the end of rehearsal. I was the one turning on and shutting off the lights for everybody and setting up lights, climbing up on the catwalk, hanging lights, yeah. you know, running sound, all of that stuff. And, you know, the work appealed to me and I wound up staying with it. <clears throat> I can say that um, of all the plans that I had for myself when I was in college and even graduating college, none of them worked out. <laughs> like it was, I had, I was, I was going to do this and this and this and none of, none of that. My, right. my plans were, but I can say every step of the way, when I, looking back now, my feet are just stepping out into an empty space. It's like, this was God's plan for me. Sure. And, I, and I can say, this is my experience. I was carried along and, and it's so easy to see God's work in my life looking back. Uh, here's a, for example, uh, graduated in 2002 and I had taken three semesters of graphic design. I took them because they fit in my schedule. That was, that was it. And it sounded, like I said, it sounded easy. Right. It wasn't easy. They were hard classes. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I took them and in the course, I thought I was going to be learning, you know, how to uh, do, I don't know, special effects, movie graphics and, you know, sci-fi battles or something. But I was actually learning to use a program called Quark Express. Nobody uses Quark Express. There, are, there might be some listeners that say, oh, my gosh, I remember Quark Express. It, it was a multi-page layout program that, that newspapers uh, used to use. Okay, I got you. And even when I was taking the class, that, that program was outdated. Adobe InDesign and the Adobe Creative Suite products were coming out at that time. And I was like, why am I having to learn this? This guy is teaching us this. Well, graduated. I moved to McAllen, Texas. I knew absolutely nobody in McAllen. This is like culture shock to me. I'm from Wyoming and McAllen is in the very southernmost part of Texas. It was so far away. Mm -hmm. from, in fact, just getting to my home in Wyoming, like three quarters of the drive is just getting out of Texas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You get out of Texas, you're like almost there. Right. Uh, especially from that far south. Yeah. But so it was a long way from anything I knew. I didn't know anybody there. Um, I got an apartment with, I had no way to pay for it. I was like, I got to get a job. Like, what do I do? I went down to the street corner and I got a newspaper. And in the newspaper, there was an ad that said, this newspaper needs a graphic designer. Boom. So I go into the newspaper that day, like, and the newspaper environment's very busy. Right. Um, I go into the graphic design area and this lady, this, this wonderful woman who I work, wound up working with, She's like, well, come along, follow me. And, you know, and so I'm just like walking around this room with her. She's giving instruction to this person and, you know, they got deadline coming up and she's like, well, I really don't have much time right now to sit down and do an interview, but I just have one question. Do you know how to use Quark Express? I'm like, yes. So she stops and turns around. Quark you for asking. <laughs> Quark you very much. Um, <laughs> like, yes. She, she's like, seriously? Because this newspaper was in a transition time where, in the next several months, they were weaning themselves off of Quark to a new press system, but they needed some people who still knew how to use Quark, and they were in a bind. And so I was like, actually, yes, I know how to use Quark. Right. And hired me on the spot. And, and this is that kind of thing. It's like nobody was using Quark. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just like there it is. And I just took that on a whim just to fill in some hours. Right. And uh, but it, it was useful. Um, I started my master's degree then at University of Texas Pan American, which is now University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, RGB. Mm -hmm. um, and I started my master's degree with Dr. Marion Monta, who was just incredible. Marion Monta 
for those of you that knew her, I know there's some people out there. She she was just an incredible woman and a and an influence on my life. She was a, an advocate for me, uh, just a powerful woman. She was like six foot two, and and when I knew her, she was in her early sixties um, and still just so vibrant and like you just did not mess with Marion. That's awesome. You know, she wanted something done. She was going to get it done. I mean, she raised millions of dollars to build you know new performing arts center. She just you know. She was just incredible. Yeah. And, and I consider myself so fortunate for having to getting to have worked with two of Texas's best women theater teachers, Dr. Nancy Jo Humfeld and Dr. Mary Monta. They shaped my career in ways, you know, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. So I started out there thinking, well, I'm going to do this master's degree and I'm working toward I, I want to be a scene designer or maybe get an MFA, you know, be in technical theater. That's really my strong suit. Uh thinking that's the direction I was going. And I took a class and, you know, we were having to do presentations. And she said to me, you know, you're really good at this talking and teaching thing. Um, You should consider doing a PhD instead of becoming a professor. Mm. And that was the first time I had ever even considered it. Sure. Never had anybody tell me that that might be what I should do. Um, And as soon as she said it, it was like the Lord put in my mind, oh my gosh, what if one day, after many years of teaching, you know, around the country, around Texas, you know, finding these universities jobs and being a professor, what if one day God called me back to Howard Payne University, to my home in Brownwood, Texas, <laughs> and I could teach there as I finish out my career? And, you know, going through coursework, Dr. Monta uh, led me through my master's degree, and then her, st- or one of her former graduates, um, Dr. Linda Donahue took me in at Texas Tech, and I walked through Texas Tech with their incredible professors and teachers there, Dr. Dorothy Chansky, uh, Dr. Bill Gelber, and, and so many of Dr. Jonathan Marks. There's so many great, talented, incredible people who just showed me a whole world and um, helped me and advocated for me so many steps along the way. I love that. Um, and as I finished, was finishing my coursework and qualifying exams at Texas Tech, I got a call from Dr. Nancy Johanfeld and said, we need you. Can you come? Um, and I did. And you uh, did. And and that was when that was so I'll fill in some of the gaps from my perspective. Like I had we had Ken Tate was the tech director of my freshman year. And then you came in when he left. And, um, you know, I I was interested in the fact that you were a former student and that was really crucial for me because I wanted to pick your brain on what your life was like since then and why you decided to come back. And it was one of the things that I always commended you for and continue to commend you for is the fact that you were very good about pointing out ways in which one can take their, for example, undergrad theater degree, and there's applicable life lessons for literally anything that you do. Here's a, for instance, um, you were really passionate about wanting to do 24 hour theater. And uh, it was something that when I was president of Alpha Psi and then just a member of Alpha Psi, it was something I wanted to do, but timing didn't work out or whatever. And then finally senior year, I was like, we're going to get this done before I leave. Cause I want this to be a thing that is, yeah. that lives on. And so David Stewart and I met with you, got the logistics of how to do it. And then we pulled it off and it was the most creatively chaotic and fulfilling thing that I've ever done in my life. And the best lessons that I've used from that now in everything that I do is there's going to be projects that come up with a tight, tight deadline that you have zero idea about 
what the information is before, and you're given one to two days to do it and do it well and knock it out of the park and have nobody think that it took 24 hours, but that it took, you know, like months and months of planning and you have to execute and make it look easy. And that is not something I would have been accustomed to even approaching in a both hectic and um, calm manner uh, had we not done that. So I, you know, that was one of the things that it caused me to think about my degree and my lessons and like, how, how are there more applicable lessons? And it's just, it's fit. And I commend you for that because I think other people that I had worked with fantastic theater uh, teachers, like here in the Dallas Fort Worth area and other places were absolutely great, but we're just like, when you have another show, here's how you apply this as opposed to this is a universal truth and lesson that you can apply. You can apply yeah. in theater this way. You can apply in the corporate world this way. You can apply to parenting this way, like boom, boom, boom. Here's three applications. I love that. Yeah. Well, and and one of the courses that I'm most passionate about teaching here on Howard Payne campus, I love, of course, all of the theater classes, the acting, stagecraft, stage lighting, you know, all of all of different skills that I'm responsible to make sure our our theater students know. But I love teaching the gen ed fine arts classes. Uh, Yeah. And uh, because most of the time students come in, you know, in a liberal arts degree, they're not necessarily just thrilled to sure. be taking a fine arts class. They're right. thinking this is going to be boring where I have to learn a bunch of facts about Michelangelo and, you know, Da Vinci and all this stuff. But, right. you know, it's like my job is to make you think critically about what you already like. Everybody yeah. already likes stuff. There are people listening to this podcast and I would say this falls within the realm of fine arts. Um, it's communication it's presentation, you know, storytelling, and, yeah, and character and all of that. Right. Um, and uh, the skills, and everybody has preferences. Everybody is listening to music. Why do you like what you like? Right. Can you can you reason it in an educated way? Not right. to be like, well, it's cool because it's cool. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I get that. You know, there's stuff that I like just because I like it, but right. I want to, because I'm educated, I want to be able to talk about this is what I like or don't like. Or if you don't like this, if you're saying, you know, that's, that's trash, you know, can you break it down as an educated yeah. person? And let's talk about why right. it, you're perfectly free to like and not like whatever you want to right. like or not like. That's not my job. My job is not to tell you what you think is good art. My job is to tell you, give you the skills and the creative reasoning to talk about why you like yes. and don't like what you like and don't like. Yes. Uh, and we have a lot of fun in my fine arts class, my intro to theater class for non-majors, those gen ed classes. I like to teach those. That's so good. What has, what has life been like? I know we're all still in the age of COVID. Um, and I want to know real quick, as we're starting to near the end of the show, it feels like time just flies by, but, um, but, um, but, but all the more reason to just bring you back on again, because this can, this conversation can continue and continue, but I want to know what was it like for you from a professor standpoint, um, to have to rapidly adjust in March when we went into full kind of lockdown mode. And then what has this new semester been like for you to think about new ways of working and moving across, uh, across a, a both possibly uh, in-person and digital experience, I guess maybe like both both the like quick quick shutdown and then recalibrating for the fall semester. Okay. Uh, before I answer that question, I just want to say this. Uh, 
so that I don't come across as insensitive or unaware sure. of what artists, especially performing artists, are going through right. being out of work right now. It's it's terrible. Um, so with what I, with my answer to this question, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm not aware of what sure. so many artists are going through. I mean, it's it's I mean, the pandemic of unemployment is is just tragic um, in our area. Um, so I do want to say that first of all, but sure. second of all, I want to say that, like you said about 24 hour theater, one of the things that I love about 24 hour theater and you were part of the very first one, but we still do it every year. I love so, that. I, mean, I feel like that's part of my legacy is giving that to the school. It so absolutely I'm is. Right. You know, it definitely is you and David Stewart and our first playwrights. Um, and it's one of the, one of the most popular theater events on campus. Oh, and, I love that. You know, now, at this point, it's been going on for a decade. Yep. And so, you know, we're, it's, it's established. It's a thing. Um, and we, we invite people to look at it, to come and, and experience it. High school students get to come and experience our campus and stay on campus and, and join us in that. But one of the things that 24 hour theater, like you said, teaches you is, that uh, being a creative person and employed in a creative arts field, we should be better at responding to this than literally anybody else. Right. Um, because I'm almost, I mean, I've told other people this, that I think this could be the best year ever for the Howard Payne Theater Department. Because uh, when something like this happens, I think in a 24 hour theater kind of way, it's mm. like, yeah, all right. Here's the limitations. Work within that. Right. I'm going to find a creative way. I'm going to get there. Right. Like, just believe me, it's going to, we're going to get there. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to just be sit back and say, well, there goes the game. Right. You know, forfeit. Right. Done. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I serve on, I serve on uh, the Brownwood Arts Council. And, and, and I hate to say that I have seen some of this. I've seen some of like artists just throwing in the towel saying, well, they're telling me that I can't do things the way I do them. So I can't do them. And I'm like, great. Oh, good. Actually, you're Finding giving ways me a to do it. Right. Set of game plans. Uh, I'm a dynamic thinker. I'm a creative thinker. I'm more well prepared than anybody mm -hmm. actually to do this. So what I'm doing, and I say this to people and people are like, can you back up? So I tell people my approach to the COVID thing is that I'm doing less but more. Mm. Um, so for, here's for example, usually in the fall semester, our, our theater department and music department, we work together and we do a big musical right. for homecoming. Uh, you, you got to be in some of yep. these musicals and it's a great experience for everybody to be working together and all these skills and talents coming together to make this really fun, big production for our whole campus, for our whole community. Um, and it's big, but it's one production. Right. And so if you're not, if you didn't get a role or if you didn't get the role you wanted or, you know, it's like everybody coming together on that one thing. Well, we didn't have homecoming production. You know, right. It's not going to happen in order to, to be safe for everybody, to keep our campus safe, our students safe, meet our, you know, everybody safe. We're not doing that. So I'm like, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything. They come in and say, I can't do a homecoming show. I'm going to be like, oh, good. I've got <laughs> this idea, this idea, this idea, right. this idea. Now's the time to do that. Uh, I always want to do something else and I'm always thinking up a new way to do something. So rather than doing one big show, we're doing right now, I'm working on like four little shows. That's awesome. 
So our our theater majors, they need like their education. They need to do live performing live performances. Right. Yes, we can record stuff. People always say, well, can't you just record the plays and share them? It's like, well, yes, but that would be the Department of Film. Right. Because theater. Right. And it's live. And there's something very special. And I think the COVID world has learned this even more. There's something very special about that face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, very true. Um, that live performer-audience relationship. It's very important. Um, it's a very important part of just cultural operation, I would say, of us knowing about who we are and exploring who we are as people. What are our values? What what do we like and not like? Um, what will we tolerate and not tolerate? Right. Um, all those things are worked out on stage. Yes. Um, and so I'm doing two one-act plays, right? One of them that, and and rather than doing, hey, everybody come see this one big show, um, our 202-seat theater, the Howard Payne Theater, that, you know, you you walk the boards of yep. many a day, yep. um, that 202-seat theater with COVID guidelines can seat 33 people. Perfect. Out. Um, and so we do more shows. So our evening of theater, which is like a recital, recital hour type yeah. thing, um, they uh we did what we usually do is we do that three times well now we do it six times and the show is shorter sure it's a more compact you come in it's a one hour experience but i think works better anyway for the netflix generation right uh we want content in an hour or less yeah that's okay we can do that right i can work with that right um the uil you know generation like we're used to working within these guidelines why can't we do it now you know so we do that show twice a night. So we'd have, rather than having one 7.30 performance that goes till 8.30 or 9.30, you know, one two-hour long show, we do two one-hour shows. The same show, we do it twice uh, on one night. Um, the two one-acts that we're working on, one of them is specific. We have a specific audience in mind. So we're thinking of rather than just, we want to make this good for everybody, I'm like, let's do this play for this audience. So I send an invitation to the local high schools, middle school theater teachers and say, we've got a show for you. You can either come to our theater on campus and it'll just be just you, like just your students. The theater will be clean. You can, we'll have all the COVID guidelines. So they'll be right. separated six feet. They'll wear masks. We'll be separated, you know, and we've got it set up. So it's just their students on that, on that night. So private, more like private performances sure. that people can come to. Or we can bring it to them. So some schools in our area do not allow any visitors on campus. Some of them do. So some schools, it's easier for them to come to us. And some schools, it's easier for us to come to them. Gotcha. So I made it so we could do both. I love that. Uh, we can do that. Um, we'll throw our set into the back of our trucks. We'll show up. We'll follow your guidelines on which doors do we come in, which way do we exit, you know, the mask guidelines and all of that. And, love that. and so we're doing that. The second one act that we're doing because of the nature of Howard Payne, um, we want to share with local churches, Bible study groups, uh, you know, just uh, Christian community in our area. Mm-hmm. And so we send an email out and we say, hey, we've got this production. And again, we they can either bring in their, like a men's Bible study group that meets on this time. This play is for them. Right. And they can come and see it or we can bring it to them. Uh, we can bring it to a youth group or we can bring it to a Bible study or a church sure. on a Sunday evening performance, something like that. And so we're doing those two. Uh, and we'll have a couple of open campus to share with the campus because these students have peers and friends and, you know, 
fraternity and sorority mates that they want to come and experience it too. So we'll do a couple of shows for that. But again, it's, it's limited. So, you know, there's a premium on, on, on seats, but you know, if they, if they want to come, they will. Um, and uh, then our children's show. So the, the Alpha Psi Omega, the Howard Payne children's show, uh, we have been for the last several years. Now you didn't get to experience this because uh, the lyric wasn't finished yet. Oh yeah, that's but true. The lyric theater downtown has hosted that, and so we. Oh, that's awesome. In, I mean, we'd be bussing in like 300, 300 to four hundred kids at a time to the lyric theater to see our shows, and that, I mean that is the best time is doing shows for those kids. Uh, but of course, the the schools can't bus kids anywhere, right. so we're doing. Uh, we built like a little shadow puppet theater. It's not little, it's big. I mean, it's like six foot tall. Sure. It's a shadow puppet theater. And so we're behind a screen, you know, we're separated, we're safe. We're keeping the students in classrooms safe and keeping our actors safe. And then we have storytelling. Uh, you know, again, they're like, well, could you make a film to share with other students? I'm like, these kids are watching films all day. Right. Like all, all we do anymore is watch films. Yeah, like, that's very true. I'm yeah. Be a live performance. Right. And so shadow puppets, we're still behind a screen, but it's happening in the moment. They know the performers are there. And so that's part of what we're doing. We're going to take in and go into classrooms and we're sending them like a packet of material so that we'll do our shadow puppet play. And then they will prepare one that we will do for them. So we'll take their play. They're going to write out their story ahead of time and they'll make their shadow puppets. And then we'll put it on screen. That's really for cool. I love that. Their, their story. That's awesome. I really love how you've taken this opportunity to rethink the way in which we do live performance. And I think you've seen that a lot with musicians. I mean, on my other just cheap plug from my music podcast after the encore talking with artists now in the age of COVID and, and they're talking about, you know, they have done some live streams. They've done uh, drive-in concerts. That's been pretty popular around here, which has been really cool. Um, people are able to be distanced and have their own stuff, but still get to hear, see and experience live music. Um, and so I think we're all just trying to figure out what's the best way we can do it. And there's lots of learnings because this is an opportunity, as horrible as everything is, it's it's an opportunity to rethink creatively how we can still be storytellers in a new way. I love it. As we, um, I've got two the two final segments of the show. First of all, the first one is things to check out. Uh, so this is where I ask my guest, and then I also provide suggestions of one, what are you reading and who are you listening to? I've taken out, people always say, well, like, why don't you ask me what I'm watching? Because we're all watching stuff. I'm a little watched out. I am very much going back to my readings and listening to podcasts and just immersing myself away from 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 video so I can do other things. So what, um, Nick, wh what are you currently reading? What am I reading? Gosh, I'm always reading. <laughs> um, man, what am I reading? I don't know. I wasn't prepared for this question. Uh, I love, I, I, I read a lot of science fiction. That's nice. like my fantasy outlet. Um, of course there, there are always really good Bible studies. Like for our youth group, I help out with our youth group at May BC. We've been doing a great series called a beautiful design. Um, if you're, if you looking for something like that, you might check that out. Um, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, uh, as far as reading, um, as far as watching, um, you know, <laughs> I watch, I'm mostly, I, I'm watching like 
I was just talking to Clarissa about this last night. I, I haven't watched a movie in a long time. I like to watch episodes. I we watch episodes of things. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I of course, uh, highly recommend if you hadn't had the chance to just comfort binge. I like to call it comfort binging, uh, watching some of your old favorite TV shows yep. and stuff that are out there. That's always good. I, watching, uh, I went all through Avatar The Last Airbender. You know, it's just one of the best shows that's ever been made and you know just a feel-good show you can yeah. just have to enjoy it if you haven't seen it um but i i will actually say this um and i and i said this in an interview with um so i had an interview with a student newspaper here on campus but if you want my recommendation for things to watch and things to do or things to read uh, i would say go to an art exhibit mm. go to a concert like you said if there's a live outdoor concert go if there is any kind of live theater performance, then go. Um, because I hear this a lot. There's a lot of people, because I work in theater, and a lot of people are like, oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. I don't know that I've ever met somebody and had a conversation with somebody. Now, it's, it has actually happened once, and that's a story for another time. Uh, but very rarely do you meet somebody who actually says, oh, well, that's that's really unfortunate. We really don't need that stuff. We don't need Whoa, arts. Yeah. We don't need concerts you know that's really a waste of time and i i I wouldn't encourage people to do that everybody wants these things yes um here's an example uh very close family friends of ours at howard pain uh theater department that got shut down and i'm not going to call out that school right now uh but i you hear about it a lot oh yeah there are theater departments Mm -hmm. and music departments that are closing all over yep um and people people respond on Facebook. So I got, I found out on Facebook that this department of theater is closing same, same. and all these students shocked all yeah. these people shocked. How can they do this? Well, I'll tell you how they can do it is because all these people who say that they, they love the arts and they support the arts. They're not actually doing that. Right. If you say that you're a, you support the theater arts, but you haven't been to a play this year. Yep. I would say go see a play. Yeah. If you say that you're a supporter of the music arts, but you haven't been to a live concert this year, as in supporting local musicians, not like, you know, uh, not like a major rock concert. Right. I'm saying you can go to major rock concerts. I've, I've sure. done that and I enjoy that. But I mean local musicians yep. and actually gave them your money, then you're not. Yeah. And you can't sit back when these things die and say, right. oh, how can they do that? Right. they do that because you weren't going exactly that's, that's why exactly um, and so if if you want my advice or you want my plea on what to watch and what to do go to an art exhibit go to a concert go to a play even if it's at your high school if it's at a local college if it's if it's an elementary school that's doing a play if the local arc shelter is doing a dinner theater go yep um because that's that's where you really support arts. A I lot of people that. support arts with their voice and with their complaining when it goes down. But when it comes to actually putting pants on and going and seeing something, it's it's so much easier not to. And I get yeah. it. You know, it is so much easier to stay home. But you're right. If we all stayed home, you would continue to have things shut down. That's a great point. I'll right. give 
my quick recommendation. So what I'm reading, I actually just finished because it's we're rec- you will be listening to this in November, but we are recording this pre-Halloween. So to get in the Halloween mood, I'm rereading um, one of my favorite ghost stories, but I'm a little biased. It's The Woman in Black. So I, I'd put that on as my student-directed one-act play, and it oh, was creepy. It was so good. And oh, I love. I still have people who saw the show say like, "Saw a Woman in Black poster," and I'm little. I'm a little scared because I remember when I got scared in the theater and I'm like, all right, man, it was a play. It's okay. Let's move forward. It was good though. It was a great play too. You did such a great job with that one act. Shout out to David Stewart. Yeah, no, two, two, three people playing multiple different roles. Shout out to David Stewart, River Shotwell, and then my wife, Amanda, for being the ghostly ghost. So it was good. Um, So I was, and for those who don't know, um, it was a book, it was a novel that was adapted for a play that was adapted for a movie uh, starring Daniel Radcliffe. So there's a variety of ways in which you can, it's also an audio, it's been done as an audio book, so you can go check that out as well. But it's all very creepy and it's a pretty easy read. It's required um, high school reading in Britain, which is why it's been able to stay on the West End for so long. So It's one of my wife's favorite books too. Oh, really? Awesome. Well, there, she's got good taste. So there we go. Um, and then for what I'm listening to, I'm li- oh, yeah. I, I did want to say this, and, yeah. I, and I thought, you know what? This is a great platform to shout this out. You remember Tim Hardy? Adam Hardy. Adam, and Adam Hardy. Hardy. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. So Adam's making movies, and there's a movie that he's made through Justice Creative. Yes, yes. Thank you, you for the it? reminder. Yes, Justice I did. So that's on Amazon. So I'm going to do a little plug yes. for Adam. Uh, Adam, our good friend Adam Hardy, uh, to go see Sisters. Check that out on Amazon. Yes, Absolutely. Every, every little bit helps him uh, and helps him be able to make more and more and more great, great movies. Um, definitely check that out. And then as far as what I'm listening to, I'm listening to, it's a new NPR podcast. It's NPR and music, so I'm super stoked. It's called uh, Louder Than a Riot. It is. It traces the interconnected rise of hip-hop and mass incarceration. So it's from NPR Music. It's brand new, three, maybe four episodes out, but I highly recommend it. Uh, it's been great accompanying listening to. So I'm still doing After the Encore. Just uh, did an episode with Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup as well. So definitely go check that out. Um, but yeah, for me, I companion piece it with uh, NPR's Louder Than a Riot. So check that out. All right, now... We're going to get to the final segment of the show. It is the dad joke of the week. It's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guest, so it works out for me. But I do like to put my guest on the spot first. Nick, do you have any dad jokes you would like to offer up? Hmm. Um, some dad jokes. Well, um, I share this one. I share this one. It's really more of dad wisdom than a dad joke. Uh, that, like I said earlier in the show, like I like I like ways to kind of grasp and understand where people are coming from. You know, people either make choices based on this or this. Um, and I'll say that there are really three kinds of people in the world. There are people that can count and people that can't. That's that's a true fact. <laughs> I'm actually more a fan of the long form joke. Yes, of course. You know, the story form. Yes. And I've got a good one. Oh, yes. That I'm, I'm fairly well known for around the community, uh, especially the students at, at May. Um, so if any of them are listening, they'll be like, oh, I hope he does the goat joke. Do we Ooh. have time for the goat joke? Yes. Bleed away. Bleat right, away. Here's the goat joke. If you've heard this one before, <laughs> then don't stop me. Okay. Um, so uh, there's a man 
out for a nice day stroll, walking along through the countryside, um, enjoying the scenery. And he's walking through a forest path. Uh, and as he's walking along, he comes across uh, in the middle of the path. There's this great big hole, this dark hole. He looks down in the hole. Gosh, you can't even see the bottom. How deep is this hole? He's wondering. Picks up a little pebble and he drops the pebble into the hole and he listens. Nothing. Wow. Finds this large rock, a big rock. He can just barely pick it up and shuffles over the hole and dumps the rock in the hole and he listens. Nothing. Oh. It's like, oh my gosh, this is very strange. Right. Needs something bigger. So he he looks around, and he finds this great big log. Small and log, he drags it to the hole, dumps the log over into the hole, and it disappears down in the hole, and he's listening. And about a half a second later, this goat comes flying down the path and just dives into the hole. Just just gone. He's like, What is happening? This hole is very mysterious and probably dangerous. I need to go and warn somebody about this. So he starts back down the path, um, hoping to tell somebody that, you know, somebody needs to do something about this great big hole. Um, And there's this man coming the other way. Man rushes up to him, says, sir, sir, have you, have you seen my goat? He's like, oh, uh, actually, I don't know. But just a moment ago, this goat came running past me and dove into this great big hole, just dived right in this hole. And the other man says, oh, well, that couldn't have been my goat. My goat was tied off to a big log. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I've got some quick jokes real quick. I um, They're win- right. winter themed as we're getting into that uh, pretty close right. to winter. Um, uh, Nick, what is the best kind of breakfast cereal to eat in the winter? Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe Frosted Flakes. Oh, okay. Yes, Frosted Flakes. (laughs) And uh, I'll just do one more here. Um, uh, What does a gingerbread man put on his bed? What does the gingerbread man put on his bed? I don't know. I I just don't know. Ah, See, it would be a cookie sheet. A cookie sheet. (laughs) All right. Well, Nick, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? To follow me? Yes. Or perhaps the department. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Um, so you can you can find information about the Howard Payne University Department of Theater at HBU Theater at Facebook, uh, the Servant Artist Program. Uh, we, we try to uh, try to keep posted on there with all the events that are coming up. In fact, we have an event coming up this weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend, a week from now, Halloween weekend. We are doing, if you remember, the Haunted Jail. Oh, yes. Do you remember doing the haunted I do. Jail? I had a lot of fun doing the haunted jail yeah. as a as a so tour we guide. To, we get to do the haunted jail again and again. We're doing it a little bit differently than we have in the past because of COVID restrictions and keeping people safe and stuff. Um, so yeah, we, it's going to be a little bit different. But the haunted jail is always a very fun event, and that's down at the at uh, the Brown County Museum of History down there. You can find tickets to that at the Haunted Jail Tickets dot Eventbrite. Dot com. <laughs> um, well done. Yeah. Well done. I love it. Well, we need a hashtag for the episode. And I was trying to think of an all-encompassing hashtag for our conversation. And I think uh, there was something that you came up with, which was, um, it was, oh, what was it? It was so well done. Um, 
Well, you know, we could just go with um, support local art. We could just do that. I think that would be good. Oh, we could also do hashtag, um, what was it? Uh, it was hashtag, oh, what did you say? It was I so good. I think it good. should be, I've got one I want to throw. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hashtag Mr. E meat. There it is. Mr. E meat. Yeah. Because we got in the meat, right? There it is. The meat with Mr. E. All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute delight. I cannot wait to bring you on again. Many, many more stories sure. will be had. Great more fun times. But listeners, I'll be back with another great episode next week. And until then, hashtag Mr. E meat and hashtag be a better dad. Thank you, Joe. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.